Let us open our Bibles to Romans chapter 2 and take up again in this important epistle of our beloved brother Paul. Romans chapter 2, we shall be considering this day verses 12 through 16 in our first assembly. The first major argument of the Apostle Paul begins at verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This wrath of God is revealed by Paul's gospel. It's going to come from heaven. It is not a chance event. It is not an event of fate. It is not an event of secondary causes. It is caused by the God of heaven, and it's coming. Paul revealed it according to his gospel, as he'll declare in the last phrase that we consider this day in the 16th verse of chapter 2. But the argument begins right here. The wrath of God is revealed. And if there is not revealing preaching done about the wrath of God, then it's not Bible preaching. It's not Paul's gospel. Wait till we get to the 16th verse and I unload on you the force of the Apostle Paul telling you what must be a major part of preaching the gospel, and it is the wrath of God. Psalm 711 tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that he's coming in his wrath to destroy all his enemies. We are told about the Thessalonians, however, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, that they were saved from the wrath to come. This is the argument. All men are condemned and guilty before a holy God who is coming in the great day of his wrath to judge them for holding the truth that he has shown them in rebellion. This argument will extend all the way to chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20. Let me read them to you so that you can see how this is one argument that covers the majority of three chapters. Romans three nineteen. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You can see there that all the world is guilty before God, and it's proven by the law of God and Paul's application of the law of God. If we back up to verse 9, we can get another statement of Paul, where he is drawing to conclusion his first argument, and he expects us to have learned his argument by the time we get to this verse. 3, 9. What then? Are we Jews, I'm adding that word for your help, are we Jews better than they Gentiles? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Paul, where did you prove before that all Jews and all Gentiles are under sin? I proved it to you in chapter 1, chapter 2, and the first 18 verses of chapter 3. Thank you, Paul. That's what we want to learn. This is what we're learning in Romans chapter 2. So let's look at Romans chapter 2. 
Chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 covered the Gentiles' rejection of the truth of God as it's revealed in creation. Then we come to chapter 2, and Paul subtly deals with the Jews without naming them until the 17th verse. They will get the message, though, that he's speaking to them, and they will accept that as he gently proceeds until he gets to the 17th verse. He says in verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. There is a singular pronoun, pronouns, used for the first time. It's been very general about the Gentiles in the third person. Those terrible Gentiles who are so wicked, they worship images instead of the Creator. But now he comes to the Jews. And when he says, therefore thou, that's a singular second person pronoun referring to the Jews, which he will identify in verse 17 by saying, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. It was the confidence of the Jews that they were better than the Gentiles that Paul has to deal with in chapter 2. It would have been easy to have thought you were better than the Gentiles if you were a Jew. The Jews speak of you and me as goyim. We're cattle. We're nothing but cattle to be used by the Jews. The Jews knew they were God's chosen people, but He only chose them for a while, and He really didn't choose them as a nation. He really only chose the seed within them that were the elect of God. And we are the true Jews, and we are the Israelite of God of the New Testament. But he goes after the Jews and he tells them, How in the world can you judge the Gentiles when according to the list of crimes that I gave in verses 29 through 31 of the first chapter, you are just as guilty as they are? How can you sit in judgment on them when you commit the same crimes? Verse 2, we are sure that God's judgment is going to be according to truth. And it's not going to excuse you, you hypocrite, for judging others and being guilty of the same crime. Verse 3, on what basis do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? See, he's not telling them what it is yet, but he knows that in his audience, there are those that think they're going to escape the judgment of God because they're Jews. If we're God's chosen people and we come from Abraham... How can God judge us like the descendants of Cain? Very easily, as he's going to show. He says in verse 4, Are you despising God's goodness and the riches of that goodness and forbearance and long-suffering that He has shown towards your nation? Are you despising it by presuming you are going to be exempt from judgment? When the reason God was good to the Jews was to lead them to repentance. If God is good in your life, if God does anything to put a smile on your face or a smile in your heart, you should drop to your knees and repent of any known sin because the goodness of God is designed to lead you to repentance. But if you go ahead and sin and judge others because God is showing some favor in your life, Then according to verse 5, this is a law of God, you are treasuring, you are heaping up a big pile, a bigger pile of wrath in the day of wrath of Almighty God. Because He is showing you kindness, 
And you are just taking that kindness and using it without worshiping Him better. And therefore, you are accumulating and accruing greater wrath in the day of wrath. You accounting students, you understand exactly what I meant by that word accruing, don't you? You are accruing a huge liability against Almighty God. He is going to come asking for you to pay your debts. And your debt is because He's shown you so much goodness and you have just consumed it and abused it without repenting. And then verse 6, here's an axiom of God's judgment. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter in which nation you were born. It doesn't matter what position you have achieved in this life. He is going to render judgment to you based on your actions. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. It's not going to be because you judge others. It's not going to be because you think yourself important. It's not going to be because you are in the right church. It's going to be based on deeds. And then verses 7 through 10 describe it in graphic detail about the deeds that it will take in order to be rewarded eternal life, which no man can achieve. And the purpose of the description is not to tell you an alternative way to heaven. It's to tell you there is no way to heaven yet. And I hope you understand that it says in verse 7, To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. That is describing a person who has forgotten everything that is happening on this sphere, this level, this earth. This person has forgot all that. They are seeking the glory and honor and immortality of another life in heaven. And they seek it by patiently continuing in well-doing. Sorry, folks, none of you are getting to heaven by Romans chapter 2 and verse 7. No one is getting to heaven by Romans 2 and verse 7. Paul is not listing this as the evidence of eternal life. Paul is not listing this as a support verse for the Roman Catholic doctrine of sacramental salvation. Paul is using this seventh verse to show us that he rewards men according to their deeds. And if there were a man who by patient continuance and well-doing just wanted to live in the light of heaven, he would be rewarded eternal life. The last two words of the seventh verse. But there are no men like that. Right. And he goes on and describes that judgment is the same way. And he comes to verse 11 and sums up his argument from last Lord's Day when we studied this. For there is no respect of persons with God. It isn't going to make any difference whether you're Jew or Gentile. Famous or unknown, rich or poor, a master or a servant, none of those things matter to God. There is no respect of persons with God. The poorest, dumbest, most deprived child can stand next to the richest, most successful king in heaven, and they're going to both be judged the very same way. They're going to be judged according to their deeds. What did you do with the life I gave you? What did you do with the truth I showed you? I showed you some truth in creation. I showed you some truth in my government of the world that resulted in beautiful sunny days that you took delight in. Wonderful rainy days that watered your garden or your fields. I blessed you 
in my providence. I warned you and showed you my truth in your conscience, so that you knew, according to 132, that those who commit the 23 crimes in verses 29 through 31 deserve to die. I showed you truth, creation, providence, and conscience. And you've rejected it. And it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to die for it. So what he's doing is he's taking away all human help, all human support, all human excuses and ideas of salvation because he'll present to us a Savior, a second Adam, who has obeyed for us and who died for us when we were without strength. And by the time we get to Romans 5, 6, you'll understand what it means to be without strength, won't you? Because 1, 2, and 3 are going to help us understand that you are without strength. It, you're going to understand how we were the enemies of God when we read Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. So now we come to the 12th verse. And let me read to you verses 12 through 16. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The English language tells us and commends to us that when we find parentheses, we should read the sentence without the parentheses to catch the main thought. Because what is inside the parentheses is supplemental, parenthetical, explanatory material. Let me read to you the sentence without the parentheses so that you can see the connection. And I do believe that God has preserved the parentheses. Amen. Yes, I do. If I don't believe that, then how do I believe he preserved the first word inside the parentheses and the last word before the parentheses? It helps us understand this long little lesson here that's got a number of words. Let's read verses 12 and 16, skipping the parentheses for the moment. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Jews and Gentiles are going to have all their secrets exposed by the law to which they're held accountable in the great day of judgment. That's verses 12 and 16. Verses 13 through 15 are answering an objection by the Jews verse 13, and are answering an objection by the Gentiles, verses 14 and 15, why such a judgment doesn't sound fair. Let's go after it. I hope you understand that about parentheses. I'm not changing the Word of God. I'm helping you understand the long sentence. Amen. 
the long thought, the long paragraph in verses 12 through 16. Paul has condemned the Gentiles in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Paul has started his condemnation of the Jews in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2, where he has said in verse 6 that God's going to render to every man according to his deeds. And then in verse 11, that there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. Death is the consequence of sin. 3.23 will teach it, but we haven't got to 3.23 yet. For the wages of sin is death. But we have already gotten to death as the consequence of sin, because it's in verse 32 of chapter 1. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This perishing is death. This death, though not fully explained yet, is physical death. It is also spiritual death. It is also the second death. There's no reason to limit the death. Sinners are going to die in all respects. We're born dead, then we get to die, and then we face the second death, which is eternal death. This is perishing. But notice, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. God cannot punish sin unless there is a law. This is a rule of the Bible, that where there is no law, there is no sin. Romans chapter 5 teaches it. 1 John chapter 3 teaches it. Where there is no law, you haven't broken anything, therefore you're not a sinner, therefore God can't judge you. But here, the apostle is saying, for as many as have sinned without law. Well now, how can you sin without law? Because it takes a law in order for there to be sin. Because he's addressing the Gentiles in the first half of the verse and Jews in the second half of the verse. And being without law means being without two tables of stone brought down from Mount Sinai by Moses. It's being without all the detailed, written down law that the Jews had in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Gentiles didn't have that. The Bible tells us very plainly in numerous places that God gave those laws to Israel and they would be the envy of Gentile nations. Psalm 147 verses 19 and 20 tell us that God did not give those laws to the Gentile nations. The first half of verse 12 is condemning the Gentiles. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. They're going to be condemned to death, and they will die without the written law of the Jews, but there obviously is a law that he doesn't explain yet, because it's inside the parentheses that they will be judged by, because you can't be a sinner unless you break a law. Is that, is that deep? Or is that really, really simple? It is my job to make these things really, really simple. I am very frustrated and very angry at what other men do with the Word of God. After I finish studying the way I'm taught to study, I take the three most popular commentaries on Romans. The massive volumes, like the textbooks that you children have to buy for your college courses, $100 a book, 700 pages long, and read all their technical criticism of the text. 
without ever bringing anything to bear of value, without giving hardly any practical lessons of righteousness, without doing anything to convict the reader, without doing anything to provoke greater worship and service. It is very frustrating. They tear the Word of God to shreds. They'll quote 50 different authors for one verse about what the text should say without even worrying about what it is meaning and what it ought to do to change our lives. I want to make it very plain to you so that even our children can understand if they pay attention. Austin, you should be able to explain verses 12 through 16 to anyone when we're done in just a few minutes. Romans 2.12 For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. The Gentiles never had the written law of God that the Jews took so much confidence in. Remember, didn't I already read 2.17 that says, You rest in the law and make your boast of God? Because they had those two chunks of stone, which were locked away inside the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Holy of Holies of the Tabernacle, which they could never look at, they thought themselves on the way to heaven. They would take four passages of Scripture, write it on vellum, put it in a little leather box, and strap the little leather box to their forehead. In the Bible, that is called a phylactery. It's in Matthew chapter 23. They rested in the law. If I can walk, do you know why they did that? Because in those four places, God said, write these things on your forehead, between your eyes, and on your hands. It's like when I say to my wife to help her remember, why don't you tie a string around your neck with that little reminder on it? I don't literally mean for her to go through life for the next three days with some little three by five card on a string around her neck. Why don't you tie a string around your finger to remind yourself we use that as a figure of speech. The Lord was doing the same. Amen. He wasn't telling them to go to a tattoo parlor and have Exodus tattooed on their forehead. But they would do that. This is called a phylactery. These are the Pharisees. They would put a little box of Scripture on their forehead because they valued having the written Scriptures, the written revelation from the God of Heaven. You know what the Pharisees would do? They'd wear bigger boxes. Wow. If you saw a Pharisee in public, I mean, the the really big ones, they needed a seeing eye dog. Because they couldn't see where they were going. And do you know what else they would do? They They would enlarge the borders of their garment. Since Numbers chapter 15 tells us, tells the Jews that they ought to have a little blue fringe on their garments to remind them that God is holy and that a man was stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. They would enlarge the borders of their garments. Look at that, brother. He's got a foot of blue fringe. Oh, he's so holy. This is the Jews. you got to understand this in 12. The Gentiles didn't have any of that written revelation. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. God is going to judge every man according to his deeds. God is not going to have any respective persons. That's verses 6 and 11. And for the Gentiles to be sinners, he is going to introduce some kind of a law, because you can't be a sinner without a law. Right. Second half of the verse. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. That's the Jews. They had the law. They knew God's precepts in writing. And yet if they broke those precepts that were in writing that they had in the first five books of the Bible, particularly 
verses, books 2 through 5, they would be judged by that law because they heard it read to them all the time and explained to them all the time. That's verse 12. Deeds from verse 6, no respective persons, verse 11. For, here's the explanation of how it's going to happen, for as many as have sinned without the written revelation of God shall also perish without the written revelation of God, and as many of the Jews that sin in the law of God that was written and given to them shall be judged by the law of God that was written down and given to them in tables of stone and on parchment written by Moses. Are you with? You have verse 12. Can we go on? Please. That's verse 12. God, he is going to get all men. When we get to 3.9, He's going to say, We have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that all are under sin. i got to have 2.12. you got to have 2.12 to appreciate 3.9 and to understand 3.9. you with me? What lesson can I say to you from this verse? You had better be very careful and very diligent in your obedience to every source of light that God gives you. Amen. God gives us light by creation. He gives us light. By light I mean truth and knowledge. By providence. That things work out in your life. You get a job. You get a college program that will give you a bridge. You get all these good things in your life. When God does good things in our lives, it should drop us to our knees in repentance to thank Him for it. That's, that's light from Him. He gives us a conscience that condemns us. Do you know that even when your conscience is wrong, even if your conscience was poorly taught, your parents didn't do a good job and your conscience is poorly taught, if you go against your conscience, you sin, and in the great day of judgment, God is going to bring up your conscience that was poorly taught and ask you why you went against it. Since you inside of you were telling you not to do that. Why did you go ahead and do that? God will hold you accountable for that. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And Oh, there's so many verses on that point, and I'm probably not going to have time to get to them, but I just want to point out right here, the Gentiles and the Jews are reduced right down to the same footing. They're both going to be judged and perish under the law One without the written law, one with the written law. Okay, first objection that pops up is a Jew. A Jew pops up and say, listen, how can we be judged like the Gentiles since we have the written law of God? God favored our nation. God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't choose the others. He chose Moses and he gave us his law. We had his tabernacle. We had his temple. We had his priests. We had his sacrifices. We had his holy days. We had it all. Surely, we're not on the same footing with Gentiles. And so we have verse 13, where Paul answers right back to the Jewish objection. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. You Jews that I'm writing to, in case you didn't get it from verse 6 and verse 11, that that God is going to judge according to every man's deeds, and that He has no respect of persons, In case you didn't get it from that terminology, let me put it this way. Not the hearers of the law are just before God. Because you grew up in Sunday school and had the Bible read to you every Sabbath day isn't going to get you to heaven. Because when you were of age and you married your wife 
and you kept going to Sunday school every Sabbath day and you heard the Word of God read, that cannot justify you. Because it's not hearing the law, as I taught you in verse 6, that God will judge according to every man's deeds. It's the doers of the law that shall be justified. Now, brethren, of course, no man can be justified by doing the law because it is impossible to do the law. But the law said that if you're going to live by this law, and if this law is going to be your means of justification, then you have to do every precept of it all the time without fail. And I could show you many verses on that point, but I think you already know that. So I just want to tell you what verse 13 is doing. It's answering the Jewish objection. We have had the law of God. We are God's special people. Paul answers right back. It's not the hearers of the law that are just before God. The law itself teaches the man that liveth in them must do them. But the doers of the law shall be justified. I hope I have made myself clear. I think I will state it one more time. It is impossible for anyone to be justified by the law. Because there is no one capable of obeying the law the way the law requires obedience. The purpose of the verse is to say to the Jews that would object to the ruling of verse 12 that we are not like Gentiles and we should not be reduced to the same playing field. And Paul comes right back and says, you missed verse 6, it's doers and deeds that get judged. You missed verse 11, that there is no difference in persons. And so now I'll repeat it this way. Not the hearers are just, but the doers shall be justified. So if you flunk by 132, and if you flunk by 2, 7 through 10, you perish right along with the Gentiles. Because it's doers, not hearers. What is the lesson for us? Do we have a lesson from that verse? Do we have James 1, 21 through 25? That we ought not to be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word of God. There is no salvation, nor comfort, nor help by you young people sitting in this church. Even though in your heart you may believe, the truth is taught in our church. For you to sit under its sound has no value to youth or adult. It is only if we go out of this place and do it in the privacy of our homes, in the privacy of our bedchamber, in the privacy of our thoughts, we keep the word of God. We'll never earn our way to heaven. But the only value of God's word is not hearing it. It's not the sound of it. It's obeying it. Don't be like the Muslims. Do you know what the Muslims do with their holy book? What is the name of their holy book? The Koran. What do they do with it? Do they study it in order to find out what Muhammad would have them to do and then they go out and obey it? No. Five times a day, they have it chanted in Arabic. And it's just a pretty noise to their ears. They don't learn it. They don't study it. They don't have preaching services in the same way we do. They just want the sound. And we're just like them if we come into a church like this, hear the sound and go home and do our own thing. Isn't that exactly what James 1 says? You look into the the mirror, the, the, the glass of God's Word. You look into the mirror and you see that you're really messed up. You've got makeup running down your cheeks. You've got sleep dirt in the corner of your eyes. There's a boogie that you forgot to pick during the night that's hanging out of one of your nostrils. You look in that mirror. You know you've got to go out in the world. This is what the Word of God does to us. We sit under the preaching of God's Word. It tells us about the 
the smeared makeup. It tells us about the sleep dirt. It tells us about the boogie. And instead of correcting those things, we just go on out the door. Pretending that we appear fine. That's James 1. I've preached it before and I can't preach it again. We're not to be hearers of the word, we're to be doers of it. That's a practical lesson that we can take. The theological lesson is this. You Jews, you might think that it's not fair to put you on the same playing ground or playing field as the Gentiles. But let me remind you, it's not the hearers of the law, but the doers. And that could be defended from their own law. Because they were, they were misapplying the value of the law to hearing it rather than keeping it. How many times did Moses say, take heed and give diligence to make sure that you do all these commandments, do all these precepts, keep all these statutes. Right. Now the Gentiles want to object. Verse 12 isn't fair. How in the world can we be judged like the Jews? You gave them your word. You put it in writing to them. You gave them paper with marks on it. You gave them tables of stone written with the finger of God. It's not fair for us to be judged like them. How can you say that we're going to be judged to die? We're going to perish in verse 12 when we didn't know what you wanted for our lives. We didn't know what it was to worship God. The Gentile argues. Back comes the answer of Paul. For when the Gentiles, and he names them, which have not the law, they do not have the written law of God, the first five books of the Bible. They do not have the written law of God, the two tables of stone with ten commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these Gentiles, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Let me give you the positive interpretation and then undo the false interpretation that some of us have been taught and which I have taught in the ancient past. First of all, the positive interpretation. This is an answer to the Jewish objection. We didn't have the law of God. We didn't know what you wanted for our lives. How can we be judged? The Gentiles which have not the law, they have a law written and it's written in their hearts. They know it already. They know what God's law contains. We're not talking about ceremonial laws. Who cares about all the little details of how to build the tabernacle and what to do at the Feast of Booths? We're talking about the moral law of God that murder is bad. Do you think they had to read that in the law of God? Do you think they needed Genesis chapter 8 and verse 26, if that's where it's found? Or Genesis 9, 6? in order to know that murder was bad? They knew that murder was bad. All Gentile nations of all time have known that. You say, well, I read about a psychopath once. Really? Why did you read about him? Because they pulled out one exception to prove to you the general rule that I just made. And where was that psychopath? Please help me. Well, he was in prison. Well, why was he in prison? Because my point stands. All nations in the history of the world have judged murder the same way the law of Moses judges murder. Right. Severely. 
You say, well, I know of nations now that don't believe in capital punishment. Yes. Did you read Romans chapter 1? That it gives them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. To save a murderer alive is not convenient. To feed him three squares a day, give him a television and a recreation court, and a bed and bedding for seven years before you put him to death, that is inconvenient. I I hate making those payments. I could save them a whole lot of money. If you don't understand the point that I'm trying to make, we're making it about the nations of the world that the Gentiles had the law of God written on the inside. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, they don't have it written, do by nature the things contained in the law. Do by nature? Brother Crosby, are you saying that they have a new nature? No, they don't have a new nature. They have their old nature. And the old nature is not totally idiotic and contrary and reverse like you think it is. It is able to recognize there's a creator God. It's able to recognize that God fills their hearts with food and gladness. And it has a conscience to know that if I do these things, I'm worthy to die. Paul has already said all three in Romans chapter 1. That is an over-preaching of the total depravity of man. And you get confused when you get to passages like this. This is natural law. This is natural thinking. This is natural thinking of humans that elevates them above animals. Animals don't have any moral consciousness at all. We do. Men do. This verse tells us they do. Because the Gentiles, though they don't have it in writing, have it written on the inside. Let me give you some examples. We've been over these before. Somebody will say to me, but if they have the things written in their hearts, isn't that a, a term of the new covenant? Doesn't it say in Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10 that after those days God will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and write His laws and the statutes in their hearts? Yes, it does. And that is why we have 2 Timothy 2.15 rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. Because one is talking about a spiritual writing in our hearts with affection for those commandments so that you would not need to teach them everything there is to know about God for all shall know me from the least to the greatest to a natural writing in their hearts that is comparable to the writing of Moses' law to the Israelites. That's why that verse is in the Bible. Do you understand why the Bible has 2 Timothy 2.15? Study. Don't just read and guess because of the sound of the words. Study to show thyself approved unto God. You will not be approved by God and you will be ashamed in your doctrine if you just read and grab the first sense that comes to mind from the sound. Study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are so many divisions to be made in the word of God because God uses similar language to describe different things so that skeptics and scorners and unbelievers can read the Bible and find it very confusing and give up on it and ridicule it so that he can judge them for it. Amen. I'm glad we have such a Bible. It's written to try us, test us, and see if we really love the God of heaven so that we study and are workmen. And it takes work. It's not Dick and Jane. See Dick and Jane run. See Dick and Jane run after the ball. The Bible isn't written like that. For when the Gentiles, they do things by nature. Did it already tell us in this epistle? Have we already read that we know one of the things that nature teaches them in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. What does nature teach them? That men ought to go to bed with women. 
that sex is for a man and a woman, that a man and a woman fit together better than a man with a man or a woman with a woman. Nature teaches them that. Nature teaches them that. So that sodomy is contrary to nature. Sodomy is contrary to the law of God. Did they need Leviticus 18 or Leviticus 20 to tell women that they ought not to go to bed with women? Or did they already know that? Did the nations of the earth already understand that? How did they understand it? Because they understood it before there was a law given to Israel, and they understood it after the law was given to Israel, even though they had never read that law that was given to Israel, nor heard of its details. It didn't matter. There is one example from the Bible given to you already in chapter 1 so that when you get to 2.14, you don't go running off into left field and make up some doctrine about unconverted elect in this passage. There is absolutely no sense to take the stuff in the parentheses and to teach something as far different as Paul's line of reasoning as it can possibly be construed. The teaching inside the parentheses is to prove what's in 12 and 16. The, gen, the, the Jews will have an argument, and then the Gentiles will have an argument. Well, we never knew what was right. And God is saying, the Gentiles don't have the written law, but I wrote this, the law, in their hearts, and they are a law unto themselves. They show it by their laws, they show it by their conduct, they show it by their consciences, and they show it by accusing or else excusing one another. That's not themselves. That's each other. That's their laws. They have... They had precepts and statutes in all the nations of the earth that were very similar to the law of God. No one's had a law for a nation that said, kill each other. Thou shalt kill. The nation wouldn't have existed. Can I give you some more? I've given them to you before, but I just hope you remember them. First of all, the, the, word, nat- the word nature teaches, teaching things is right in chapter 1. And it's repeated several times. The women left the natural use of the woman. What's the natural use? It's what God's put inside every woman that she should want a man. And it's what God's put in a man that he should want a woman. But God rewires them from what he taught them naturally because they reject what he taught them naturally about a creator God. So he rewires them. So that they do things contrary to nature. Because nature shows the fit to work pretty well between a man and a woman but not between two women and not between two men. Do I need to help you further? No. Okay. Gentiles, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to be established in this. This, I love the truth. Whenever I get it, however I get it. I hope you love the truth whenever you get it and however you get it. That there might be unconverted elect in the Bible, we would have to go to other places to find them and prove it. We certainly couldn't go to Romans chapter 2 and prove it. It is certainly contrary to his context. Totally contrary to his context. It wouldn't make a bit of sense as to how he's getting all Jews and Gentiles condemned to try to talk about some being saved without doing anything. Except as evidence. Just, we'll come to it in a second. 1 Corinthians 5, look at what it says. Verse 1, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife. How do the Gentiles think 
that incest with your father's wife was really sick. And they wouldn't even consider such a thing. Why did Gentiles think that? I love the Word of God. Why did they think that? They'd never read Genesis 35, 22 about Reuben taking his father's wife. They never read about Genesis 49, 4 where Jacob condemned Reuben for what he did taking his father's wife. They never read Leviticus 18, 8, 20, 11, Deuteronomy 22, 30, 27, 20, 1 Chronicles 5, 1, Ezekiel 22, 10, or Amos 2, 7 about a son going to bed with his father's wife. They never read those verses and they didn't need to read those verses because God wrote those verses in their hearts. Right. So that they knew that incest was sick. The apostle, the Holy Spirit says so. 1 Corinthians 5.1 You say, but I read once about a man going to bed with his father's wife in Russia. Why would you read about it? That's why it made the news. Right. Isn't the Bible wonderful? Amen. Do by nature the things contained in the law. The law had all those references that I gave you that you don't sleep with your father's wife. Gentiles wouldn't even think of doing it. The Jews did. They were sexually crazy. Just read the Old Testament about them. They had several proclivities. They had proclivities to idolatry, sexual fornication, and financial fraud to make money. And those can be proven from a variety of places. Let's, let's, what about some more? Look at 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. I just wanna, we want to establish this point that without the Bible, the Gentiles knew things that were written in the Bible because those things were written inside them at a natural level of law that this is good behavior and this is bad behavior. Therefore, when somebody does this good behavior, he should be excused from any punishment. And when somebody does this bad behavior, he should be accused of a crime and punished for it. Gentile nations have always done that. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you? See, nature teaches. There's written laws that aren't in the Bible. They're written in the natural heart of natural men. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. Where is this taught? It's taught in the Bible, but it's also taught in nature. And what does Paul have to say about anybody that would argue against both sources of truth? But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. We don't go against any source of truth. In Acts chapter 28, when the Apostle Paul, on a, sli- on a prisoner's ship going to Rome, was shipwrecked and arrived in the island of Melita and gathered around a fire with those Barbarous people. I'm giving you Acts 28. He put a stick on the fire and a viper came out and latched onto his hand. And all those barbarous people, that means they hadn't been to school, were sitting around the fire and they said, Ha ha! This man is a murderer that vengeance will not suffer him to live. Now how did they know that there ought to be vengeance for murder and that he ought to die? How did they know that? Well, they've been reading their Bible, somebody will tell me. Or they were born again, regenerate children of God. No, they weren't. They were the Gentiles that have known that murder is bad. And so they were accusing another person. Paul, assuming he was a murderer because he was on a ship that usually didn't transport people guilty of traffic fines. Do you know the passage or do I need to turn you to it? I don't have time to turn you to it, so I'm just giving it to you. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 5, does the Bible tell us that if you do not take care of your infirmed parents when they are unable to provide for themselves, you have denied the faith and are worse than an infidel. Who's an infidel? A rejecter of God that doesn't even believe in a creator. He's an idolater. He's an infidel. But you know what he does know? He knows that parents ought to be taken care of when they're old, just like they took care of me when I was young. How does he know that? It was written on his heart in natural law. In Luke chapter 11, did Jesus say, If any of you fathers, a son, ask of him a fish, will he give him a stone? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, where did that come from? Because every daddy wants to be a good daddy some of the time. How about in Proverbs chapter 6 when it says, If a man steal because he's hungry, men will understand that. Not speaking about spiritual men, speaking about natural men. If a man steals to satisfy his soul when he's hungry, men will understand that. They're still going to charge him with stealing and they're still going to expect restitution. But if a man commits adultery, what does it say about natural men? There's no understanding of that crime. No understanding of that crime. Because there's no purpose for it. There's no basis for it. There is no restitution for it. Though thou givest many gifts, that husband's never going to rest, and neither will the laws of a nation rest. How many verses do you think Gentiles needed to tell businessmen that they ought to have fair balances? Do you think that all nations of the earth have just had balances? You could, you could call an ounce that would weigh 28 grams in one place, and you could call an ounce that weighed 280 grams in another place? Hello? Goodbye. You're missing the point of the verses. How many verses do you think Gentiles needed to condemn kidnapping? Did they have to read Exodus 21:16, Or does kidnapping really irritate natural men? Okay. I'm, I don't mean to be sarcastic. I just want you to get this verse and know exactly what it's teaching. Paul said, verse 12, Those without law are going to be judged without law as sinners, and they're going to perish. As many as have sinned without law. Well, you can't sin without a law. So where did the law come from? The law was written on the inside. The basics of Moses' law are all on the inside of all men. So they're a law unto themselves. Let's come back to Romans chapter 2. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature, natural law, the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Though they don't have the written precepts of Moses... They do have a law written on the inside about what is good behavior, what is bad behavior. What is righteous and what is unacceptable. What is to be excused and what is to be accused and punished. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. The conscience has already been mentioned without naming it. In verse 32 of chapter 1 who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Men know that. It was just assumed as Paul blew over it in verse 32 of chapter 1. Here he's explaining it. God put that in them. They know that murder is really bad and deserves death. They know that disobedient and rebellious children deserve death as well. They know that from God's law that he put inside them. On a natural basis, they know that men and women are to marry, make love, have a family. Not men with men, working that which is unseemly. 
You say, well, why do they do it in Romans 1? Because God gives them over. Against that better light that they had. He blinds them further in their wickedness. Reader. Hearer. Do you understand how much God holds us accountable for what He puts in our hearts? If He convicts you of something in your conscience, even if your conscience is ignorant and you sin against it, it's a sin before God, and you will be held accountable for it someday in His judgment. These verses do not present an illustrated example of unconverted elect. That is totally contrary to Paul's argument. To stick in here that these are Gentiles that are elect and saved, and God has brought them into the new covenant by writing His laws spiritually on their hearts and minds. What about the rest of the Gentiles? Are you going to say that that's all the Gentiles? Because he just refers to the Gentiles as a class. For when the Gentiles. Now, for when Gentiles. What are we going to do with this? It doesn't teach that. We have to follow Paul's argument. When I say that we are slaves to context, I really and truly mean it. We know exactly what's being taught here. An answer is being given to an objection about how Gentiles can be judged as sinners when they've never broken the law because they didn't have a law like the Jews had a law. The Jews was in writing. The Gentiles was in writing too, wasn't it? Does it say that? That it was written in their hearts. Uh, Yeah, they had it in writing as well. Context is our guide. The The words that are inside the parentheses and the verses that are inside the parentheses must serve what is outside the parentheses. And what's outside the parentheses is verse 12 and verse 16 telling how all men are going to be condemned and perish. Not telling how are some, how some are going to be saved. It's how they're all going to perish, 12 and 16. And so 13 through 15 are teaching the very same thing. Oh, verse 16. You can read the outline. I've preached this before. I, let's just keep going. Verse 16, because of time. It should be so obvious to you. If you need more help on this, we'll sit down and take it as long as you need it. This is not teaching some example of unconverted elect. This is teaching the condemnation of every single Gentile without exception because God's written in their hearts, not just some of them, but all of them, so that they can be judged by a law that God gave them, just like the Jews will be judged by the law that God gave them, though the two laws are different. One written on paper and stone, one written on their hearts. Verse 16, in the day, we are back to verse 12. The answers to the Jews was in verse 13. The answer to the Gentiles was in 14 and 15. Verse 12 said, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. When? And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. When? When will all Jews and all Gentiles, because verse 12 allows no exceptions, verse 11 allows no exceptions, verse 6 allows no exceptions, when will this happen? Verse 16, In the day. There is a day appointed in which God is going to judge the world in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You make sure you read 12 and 16 together. You can read 13 through 15 as separate explanatory supplemental material, but make sure you get the argument. Gentiles are going to be judged and they're going to be condemned to death even though they lived without a written law external, an external written law. The Jews are going to be judged and condemned worthy of death, and they're going to perish under that sentence of judgment, though they had the law, because they're going to be judged by it. The Gentiles will be judged by the law that God wrote in their hearts. When? In the day 
that God has appointed. Brethren, look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. When Paul stood on Mars Hill, when Paul was taken to the learned, esteemed, highly regarded philosophers of the Greek nation in the city of Athens, Paul stood before the most learned men of our world. And they said, we want to hear more about what you were teaching down in the marketplace. And he gave them a short lesson, and you've heard it before, but he brought it to a conclusion this way. Verse 30 of Acts chapter 17, he calls them ignorant and superstitious. If you were to read the previous ten verses, I love Paul. He wasn't afraid of anyone. He sounds like the three Hebrew children standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, King, it's hot back there in that fiery furnace. But we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't really care what you're going to do to us. And we don't even know if God's going to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But one thing we do know, we are not going to worship your golden image. Those are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Paul was just like them because Paul had the same spirit. And what was that spirit? When he had philosophers, here's how he talked to them. Though it was not Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates, it was their students. And the learned philosophers of Greek, Paul said, verse 30, And the times, the times of this ignorance God winked at. Your ignorant religion? You've got to read the context to fully appreciate it, but we don't have time. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere, including Athens, including Mars Hill, to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ not only showed Jesus Christ to have conquered death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to this text, showed that Jesus Christ is going to be the judge of the earth. And Paul told that to the philosophers in Athens. There's a day. God has appointed a day, and God has appointed a man by ordaining him to this office of being judge, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's called the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. It is described in Romans 14, 10 through 12. It is described in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, that we shall all, including the Apostle Paul, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years and no one listened to him. This is what needs to be preached. Paul preached it to those philosophers. And they went on believing their wicked, foolish, vain philosophy. But a man named Dionysius stood up and followed Paul out of the room. A woman named Tamaris, you can read about it right here in the context. Damaris, in verse 34, got up and followed Paul out of the room. And you know what it says? And others with them. But two by name stood up and said, that message that I just heard, I believe. And they got up and walked away from the philosophy and education and intellectual circles of Athens, Greece, and followed the Apostle Paul. May we follow him today by heeding verse 16. In the day when God shall judge. Our God is a God of judgment. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What are you afraid of? Not passing your driver's test? 16-year-olds? Are you afraid of that? You poor thing. Can I comfort you? 30 billion people have passed it in front of you. 
Oh, Pastor, why are you so sarcastic? Because I want you to think about real fear. Are you afraid of an exam that you have on Monday that you haven't studied for? Do you know how many thousands have passed that exam without studying? Do you want something to be afraid of? Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. So even soldiers that are going off and their sergeant tells them, that machine gun nest, we need to take it out. I know that that gun is shooting at 600 rounds per minute, which means that there's 10 coming at you every second. But if you run very fast for that 200 yards up that sandy slope with all of your equipment, it's only going to take you 90 seconds. And, And 90 seconds times 10 rounds is only 900 rounds. Surely you can dodge them all. And so soldiers are afraid at times. And they pull out their little testaments and they'll read some verse from Psalms because they're afraid. But that isn't fear. Right. I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast both body and soul into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Amen. Who said those words? Jesus of Nazareth. Luke chapter 12 verses 4 and 5. In the day when God shall judge... Our God is a God of judgment, brethren. You say, well, why is he taking so long? There's all this warning in the Bible about judgment. Why is he taking so long? You sound like the skeptic in the scorner of Second Peter chapter one, verse, chapter three, verses one through eight. The reason he is taking long is for you to repent. He's long suffering. He is suffering putting up with your garbage. And but he's giving you a space of time to repent. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise of His coming in judgment. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise of coming in judgment, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants us to repent as surely as His goodness. In verses 4 and 5 of this chapter, teach us it ought to lead us to repentance. He is coming to judge. May we be gripped by it. May we think about everything we say and everything we do and everything we don't say that we should and everything we don't do that we should do about giving an account of it to the God of heaven. Because it's coming. It's coming in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men. You may hide things from me. You may hide things from your parents. But you're hiding nothing from the God of heaven. All things are naked. Naked. And open. Under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Right. Hebrews four twelve through 14 He is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. If the thoughts and intents of your heart right now are not holy, if they are not appreciative for the preaching of God's Word, if they don't humbly respect God's Word, if they're not trembling before God's Word, if you're not praying for the poor mouthpiece that God picked to give you His words, you're going to give an account for them. Because He is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart that you have right now and every hour of every day. You'll give an account for every idle word. According to Matthew chapter 12, around verse 34. And how many idle words in this generation are there? There's way too many. Lord, God have mercy upon us. All filthiness, foolish talking and jesting are condemned in Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. Where Paul says, because of these things, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Right. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, all your secrets are going to be made publicly known. Young man, rejoice in your youth. 
and follow your heart. But know this, that you're going to give an account of it to the God of judgment. Ecclesiastes 11.9. Solomon, when he writes, what is the purpose for man under the sun? What is man's purpose for living on the earth? He concludes it with these two verses. I know I repeat myself. How do you think you'll learn? Did you do your flashcards only once? I know when I repeat myself. It's one of the few things I know. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the end of a book of philosophy of how to live, to maximize your life. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The end. The end of Ecclesiastes. How did Solomon know about God judging every secret thing by Jesus Christ in that day of wrath? Because he wrote by the same Spirit. We have one author of our Bible. You women, you're going to hear about something God wants you to do on Wednesday evening. You're going to be held accountable for it. He's going to do it by Jesus Christ. Because God has put all judgment into the hands of Jesus Christ. Do you know how fair that was? That it would be someone like us, who is tempted with sin, that would be the judge. But when you see the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on his throne... In Revelation chapter 20, it says the heaven and the earth will flee away from the face of him that sits on that throne. I've already read to you today, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, that Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire with his mighty angels taking vengeance on them that know not God. That is not a Jesus that is taught very many places. The John Lennon lookalike, the hermaphrodite, that they have standing knocking at a door or hanging on a crucifix or lying in a manger is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Right. He will tear you apart from the inside out in the first second you see him unless you repent and confess your sins and live a righteous life. When you see him, you're going to be so ashamed if you have lived in wickedness, even if you're one of God's elect. Oh, Lord God, have mercy upon us and let us prepare for that day. According to my gospel, Paul said, Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. If a gospel is preached that doesn't include the judgment of Jesus Christ upon sinners in the context of Romans 1 through 3, then it's not gospel preaching according to the apostle Paul. And we should forsake it and reject it. Paul would say, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5.11 When Paul was in prison in Caesarea, and Felix the governor called for him, a messenger came to the door of Paul's cell. Paul, get up. Felix wants to meet with you for a couple hours this morning. This is what the Bible says, Acts 24, 24 and 25. Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. Felix wants to know more about the faith in Christ. Paul had a few minutes to make it up the stairs and was in Felix's presence. Do you know what he preached to him? Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. 
Do you know what the effect was on Felix, the governor of the Roman Empire, that could have snapped his fingers and Paul would have been beheaded on the spot? He trembled as Paul reasoned with him. Reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. God is righteous and has a righteous standard, Felix, and you well know it. He demands temperance of his creatures. That is self-denial in light of a coming judgment that will have eternal consequences. Felix trembled and said, thank you. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you again. That's our brother Paul. What do we have to learn today? God is going to judge Jews and Gentiles alike based on a law written externally on paper and stone or written in their hearts. Brethren, we're Gentiles. Have you ever sinned against your conscience? Has your conscience ever told you that while you were doing something, you shouldn't be doing this? Have you ever looked at somebody else and accused them of doing something wrong, then you went and did the same thing? See, you were sinning against the law that God wrote on the inside. You were sinning against your conscience. God's going to remind you about every single one of those, and you're going to know that you are worthy of death. But the Lord Jesus Christ is going to stand in for us and be our mediator because he's put away every single one of those sins for the Jews against a written law in, in paper and stone. For the Gentiles, a written law in our hearts. Right. We have a Savior who has saved us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 Because he bore the wrath of God for us. It pleased the Lord to bruise him instead of us. It pleased the Lord to kill and slay the Lamb of God instead of us. And so blood has been put over us because it's called the book of life of the Lamb slain. And so like the Passover of old, God is going to pass over us because he's going to see the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you know that that blood was shed for you? By believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and there is no faith worth even being put in context of my declaration here unless that faith results in good works. Because unless you add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and knowledge patience and patience temperance and temperance godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness charity, your faith means nothing. It's the faith of devils. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and keep His commandments and live for Him. Let's love Him and adore Him. Let's run to Him and cleave to Him. Let's praise Him and pray to Him. Let's keep His statutes. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That is how we lay hold of eternal life. That is how we know that our election is sure. This is the preaching of the gospel. God will condemn the Gentiles By the law he gave them internally, God will condemn the Jews by the law he gave them externally. There is a day coming that God has appointed to judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And the full gospel, the true gospel, includes preaching about that day of wrath. Because Paul said, according to my gospel, the gospel that Paul preached included that day of judgment. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.